If you're going to work remotely, you have to empower your people to make decisions. You have to require them to make decisions, not just empower them to do so. You are listening to Running Remote, a podcast about building and scaling effective distributed teams. Join us as we dive inside the minds and processes of CEOs, managers, nomads, and dynamic entrepreneurs who are building impactful businesses and organizations through this new and innovative movement. They've thrown out the traditional rules and business textbooks and are actively finding new ways of organizing their teams, driving productivity, and scaling their growth. I'm your host, Stephanie Burns. Today's episode is brought to you by Running Remote, the world's largest remote work conference. Check out the speaker lineup at runningremote.com and get 20% off your ticket for being a podcast listener. Simply use code IRUNREMOTELY and your 20% discount will automatically be applied. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Running Remote Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Burns. Today, I'm super excited to talk to Frank Cottle, the CEO of Alliance of Virtual Offices. Frank has a very interesting career in remote work, buying, selling companies, and I'm just really, really excited to dig into everything that you've done over your very fascinating career. Frank, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Stephanie. It's a pleasure to be here. So before we dig in, can you give us some background on you and, you know, how you got into this space and kind of the genesis of it was? My career started in 1969, and uh, I worked uh, for one of our federal agencies for a couple of years, got married in 71, and <clears throat> went into the yachting industry, stayed in that industry, racing and, and brokering uh, large racing sailboats till about 1980. And in 1980, I decided I wanted to shift careers and decided that these funny things called executive suites were kind of interesting. So uh, we started developing uh, projects where we would build the buildings, actually, sort of a property approach to it, and built projects across the southwestern U.S. for 10 years, sold that portfolio, and then went into the classic business center operating business for the next decade, sold that portfolio. Um, We built 195 projects, myself and two partners across the U.S., and sold that portfolio in 2000 and started the current form of our company, which is really a technology-based company that runs in a model not dissimilar to Expedia, where we own and manage the customers, and we use others' spaces to service our customers. So we're very active and have been an activist in the flexible workspace industry and remote working for 40 years now. How cool. So what made you, you know, you said you saw this really interesting thing happening. What was that? What what made you say, that's what I need to get involved in? It really was a property move. Our, our first mm. 10 years, uh, we looked at it purely as a property. I, I come from an old farming and ranching family here in California, and always having land in the path of progress is a good thing. And so we thought we could build buildings in the path of progress, but we needed to tie the land down. And in order to do that, we had to have revenue. So we had to have the buildings and the greatest amount of revenue per square foot that could be generated was from executive suites. So we didn't go into the industry because we thought it was interesting. We went into it because we thought it was practical Mm -hmm. and could work with our land banking theories and could help us to generate 
create the added revenue we needed to tie up bigger pieces of dirt. Very simple approach. Once we got into the industry, it became fascinating, and we made every mistake anybody could ever make in, in business. But we survived it and have uh, grown from there. And today we have the largest global network of co-working and business center facilities inside of our Alliance Virtual System operating uh, uh, in 54 countries. And it's just been a, a real nice ride. Before we hit record, you were also telling me that you've gotten involved in working on filling vacant spaces too. Well, that's really what we do. We work in the in the flexible workspace sector, and we focus primarily on virtual offices, uh, meeting and conference rooms, uh, live reception services, basically the service side of the industry. And the reason we chose virtual officing and remote work as opposed to just being a broker of co-working space or, or business center space was that space is finite. If you have a 20,000-foot center and in that center you have 75 offices, once you've filled them, you're done. Base is finite. Right. But remote work and its management or virtual officing and its management, well, the offices are virtual. Therefore, they're not finite. They're just the opposite. You have an infinite inventory. It's only limited to the number of workers, not to the amount of space. Mm -hmm. So we built the technology around managing that proposition and created a network of centers that would accept our business, accept us as a client or the wholesale model, not a brokerage model. Think of Expedia for real estate, if you will. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's really what took us down down our path. And our company, I know you're, you're focused on remote work. We've always been a, a broadly distributed company. Our management teams have, have never been in the same place at the same time. We find it not a, a limitation in any way, but from a company point of view, uh, we find it really, really refreshing because we can hire anybody anywhere without disrupting their life. You and I were chatting uh, earlier and you, you're in Bentonville, Arkansas, and I'm in Newport Beach. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, I want you to come to work for my company. You have to move to Newport Beach. Salt. Yeah, so, so, so <laughs> but, but maybe not to your husband. Or maybe it's disruptive to taking your kids out of school or there right. are other family considerations. Or in Bentonville, you can have a heck of a nice house and in Newport Beach should get you a one-bedroom apartment. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so your lifestyle would change. And so we we decided a long time ago that in order to get the best people, you had to get them the balanced lifestyle that they wanted and not be disruptive to their families. Mm -hmm. That that would bring us the best people. And over the years, it, it has. We have a wonderful team at all levels within the company. And we really practice the use of technology as the tool to allow us to do this. And it's a lot of attitude also. Just comfort with it, uh, not having to see everybody every every moment of every day. So we've been very satisfied with that structure. I'm so glad that you brought that up because across the board on the podcast, when I talk to people about this, you know, remote work really allows companies to find the very best talent, not just the talent that's in closest proximity to them. And that's really made all the difference. So your team is distributed. How are you creating culture amongst them? 
that's a great question. I don't. I think our our entire culture is based around uh, our network and our customer structure. We have two processes by which we make all decisions in the company, and these have been in place since the late 80s. The first one is members first. So we look at our client, uh, the people in, in the centers, the people that we service, we think of them, always have thought of them as members. When we have an executive decision or a decision up and down the line in any way up to the board levels and investment levels, we think the first question that pops up, is this what's best for the members? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is yes, then we figure out how to move forward. If the answer is no, then we try and change what we're going to do. If the answer is maybe, which is the hard part, then we, we really have to figure it out. But we take that members first, and that's religion to us mm-hmm. across the entire company. So our culture is not around being cool or having an office that looks like Google's or any of that sort of stuff. Our culture is really around members first externally and internally it's around family first. So when we look at people and we look at situations and HR issues come up or emergencies come up, the first thing that we have to ask is, well, how can we help this person because they're part of our family. What can we do? Job changes, career changes, uh, you know, how, how do we approach everything that way as well? And that's the simple part of our company that, that keeps everybody aligned and helps us to make decisions uniformly on everything that we do. And we've just never had a, a problem and never strayed from that. I find that founders who take that approach have the most loyal long-term employees. Has that been the case for you? I haven't changed an executive member in the company since 2001. Wow, that's amazing. It is a true team, and it's it's not without its challenges at times. Mm-hmm. People go through lifestyle changes, family changes. Some people grow faster than others, etc., When you say family first, I've been married for 50 years, and so I think in terms of everything is long-term. You might have family squabbles, but you're family, and you (laughs) you figure out how to solve them, and you figure out how to deal with it. And that's especially important when your management team is global and as diverse as ours is. How many Uh, people are on your team? At the executive level, there's only about 10 at the senior executive level. As it breaks down from there, the numbers grow exponentially. But at the executive team level, that, that's about where it is. We're scattered. Um, uh, I'm actually the only senior person in our company that's actually in Newport Beach where we're headquartered. Okay. My office is quite small, basically built around me for decision-making and, and, and my own personal management of, of things. But everything else is done remotely. We've always relied heavily on technology. Mm. We were building projects in the 80s. We put in our first video conferencing system in 1982. Wow. And it was very expensive to use then, but we had a management theory that said no one should ever have to travel more than 45 minutes to do anything within our company. Wow. What brought that on? That was in the early 80s. (laughs) And uh, what brought that on is that, do you remember the the old video game, uh, what was it called, Where's Waldo? Mm -hmm. Okay, you're always looking for Waldo, and, and Waldo's always in the wrong place. You can never find him. If you have to travel more than about 45 minutes to get something done, you're probably just in the wrong place. So we decided that in the way we would develop projects, 
We would only develop projects within about a 45-minute radius of each other so that managers could get between projects without panicking or blowing their day out or things of that nature. Travel is an incredible waste of time, Mm -hmm. an incredible waste of time. Very expensive. Travel usually, if you look at a Fortune 1000 company, is usually the third or fourth largest expenditure. People first, plant second, technology third, travel fourth. And sometimes technology and travel switch positions. Understanding that and the cost of travel and loss of time, et cetera, we tried to minimize that from day one. We've just always done that. So what other technology do you and your team use to get your work done? Well, today we use a lot of instant messaging. You and I are using Skype right now. That's a good example. We, we use Skype as well and have since day one. So we use a lot of instant messaging. Uh, we use a lot of video. We don't really require getting 10 people together to make decisions. And I think that's part of when you have a remote team, you have to absolutely unequivocally be confident in your team members' capabilities of managing their responsibilities as individuals, mm-hmm. period. If you aren't, then you have the wrong person or the wrong structure. So I don't need to get together with any technology, with anybody, but once every week or every other week. Why should I? I mean, think about it. If you're in a planning session, you're trying to figure out, you know, something new to do or you know, you've got a, a new challenge you want everybody working on together. Well, yes, that's it. But for day-to-day work, a 30-minute meeting between four of us to t- deal with, uh, to check in is is all that should be necessary. If people can't make decisions, don't hire them. And that that's the one thing when we hire someone that we explain to them that no matter what their position in the company, we expect them to make decisions. And if they screw up, we'll back them up. Yeah. Fine. But what slows companies down is a lack of decision making at all levels. And so if if you're going to work remotely, you have to empower your people to make decisions. You have to require them to make decisions, not just empower them to do so. Otherwise, they're not going to be responsible in their remote work position. They're always be waiting for something or waiting for someone to advise them on on where to go on something. And, And you just have to trust people's native intelligence. I'm so glad that you brought this up. So when you onboard someone and you communicate that we want you to make decisions, are there certain parameters that you put around them before they start? Like, hey, we don't make decisions about this, this, and this, or full capabilities here, here, and here? We're functionally a technology-based service company. So I'll go back to my previous statement, members first. Is this good for the member? Well, you can say, yeah, we should give them everything for free. Well, that's not good for the member because then you don't have a sustainable company. Right. <laughs> okay. So there's some a learning curve along the way of how to make decisions, obviously, and some, you know, you want to stay in a decision-making track around what your expertise is. If you're a technologist, don't necessarily want to make marketing decisions. So, you know, people kind of stay in their lane, so to speak, but that's what technology is for so that you can have those remote meetings with everybody jumps on at a certain time and people that have to cross lanes or people that need help from another team can get it. But in the meantime, they're making decisions on their own. Very cool. What kind of processes have you put into place or do you feel that it's more important to have detailed processes than it would be if all of you were in the same building? I think that you need process around certain things and it needs to be accessible to everyone 
365 mm-hmm. so that people can see what other people have to do to get things done. I think that that's one of the challenges we have is we, if we start a new company or uh, invest in or, or acquire a company, they're used to doing things a little differently. So we have to make sure that if they're part of the team, they're 100% part of the team. That's always a challenge. Being separated by languages and time zones are a challenge. I forget who said it, but, you know, talking about the people in the U.S. and people in the U.K. that were a single people separated by a common language. (laughs) Um, And so the same word in the same language might have five different meanings. If you have somebody in Australia, New Zealand, California, London, and India. So you, you have to look at how to deal where, well, in our case, two thirds or three quarters of the company, English is a second language really? or a third language. And so you, you have communications challenges always that you have to make sure that when you put a policy in place, it truly understood. And that means keep it simple. Back to the earlier comment, rely upon people's local knowledge and native intelligence to make good decisions because they understand the simple parameters by which those decisions should be made. So let's talk real quick about your hiring process. What does that look like? Because it seems to me, and I'm just deducing here from our our short conversation, that you know, it's very important that you get quality people in working with you because decision-making is so important. So what's your hiring process look like in order to find those good people? Well, we rely on technology for a lot of our company growth. So our hiring structures are mostly around direct sales and service personnel, uh, which are, we think, one and the same thing, just with two different job descriptions. We believe that we make sales through service, not because we're particularly clever or have the best advertisements or that sort of thing. In fact, we do very little advertising. We believe in word of mouth based on reputation. And when you've been around for 40 years, you can believe in that, candidly. And that has a lot to do with our hiring, too. We just brought on a a young gentleman. I refer to him as a young gentleman. He's in his early mid forties, <laughs> but I've known him since he was in high school and I worked with his parents. Wow. So uh, he had successfully run a, his own company for a while. He was made one of those offers that he couldn't refuse. He sold the company. And the first thing he did was call us and say, Hey, I'm free. Can I come to work for you? And we said, well, yeah, what do you want to do? <laughs> And I said, you know, we kind of need leadership in these three areas. Which one is most interesting to you? And he chose one that was a combination of new and interesting and also had the best compensation package. Funny thing. (laughs) But he chose that. And so that was our hiring process. A lot of people come to us because of our position with the industry when they're free. And we like that. Again, long term. So we, we don't have a a huge HR department or uh, all these guidelines and this and that. I think if I were to choose a guideline, it would be someone I know who I know is honest and who I know is smart. After that, I don't care. What if it's somebody that you've never met? How do you know that they're honest and smart? And Well, they probably have friends mm-hmm. and we probably know those friends. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> okay. Again, you have to have to remember, we've been doing this for 40 years. We are very, very well known within our industry sector. And all of our competition knows us and, and uh, we're very good relationship with them. 
some of our biggest competitors, one of our biggest co competitors, a company called IWG Group, which owns Regis and Spaces and a few other brands in, in the flexible work sector, they uh, are actively involved in our charitable foundation. And yet we're on the street, vicious competitors. Yeah. But in the in the back office, the CEO and founder of that company, who started that company in the mid-late 80s, and I are, are really good friends. Mm -hmm. You can be competitive and still have quality relationships. So we work with a lot of our competitors in that regard with our charitable foundation and also with our news publication that are industry neutral, if you will, kind of like hollowed ground. And it gives us the ability just to have access to lots of people. I call that collaboration. Yeah, a little collaboration or cooperation or whatever <laughs> you want to call it. Cooperation, I like, yeah. Well, I heard a word the other day that I really liked, snarcastic. I just love that word. I said, oh, she's being really snarky and sarcastic at the same time. So she's snarcastic. Because immediately a person came to mind, the, the image of a person came to mind when I heard that word. And I just thought, perfect. That's so funny. Uh, from an HR point of view, we have lots of capabilities. Our industry is, is actually pretty tightly woven. So we're going to know the senior executives in most other companies or know of them, and they're going to know us. So we, we're kind of lucky in that regard. It's not like we're Microsoft having to recruit senior programmers by the thousands and manage that kind of workforce. So simple what, company, simple approach. Right. So what would you say to a founder who is looking to bring on their first remote team or take their team remote? Where would you tell them to start? Find the smartest, best person they can. The remoteness, people look at that as a barrier, but it's really a, a, a resource. If you can't trust someone to be doing what they're supposed to be doing without you, them being in your office then you shouldn't hire them in the first place. Mm. Today, people want the freedom. They want the decision-making capability. They want to balance their lifestyle. And sometimes that means they don't want to physically be under somebody's watchful management all day long. And they, they don't People seem to either thrive as remote workers or they get kind of fearful they're off the fast track or they're they're out of the mainstream or something and they want to get back into the core of a company. And I think if there's a problem, it's not a problem with finding people that want to work remote or having good remote work policies or things of that nature. I think that sometimes your own teams don't want remote work because they're, again, fearful of being dropped off the fast track. And you, in your culture, you have to ensure, if you're going to work in a distributed basis, that everything is uniform, everything is equal in your processes so that there isn't some little click sitting back at the corporate headquarters making all the decisions and everybody else is remote. Because that means your remote workers are actually remote from you as opposed to just physically remote. They're mentally and, and emotionally remote as well. You can be sitting next to someone in a relationship and have them be remote. So proximity should not be the criteria by which you judge your remote work. Distance and proximity should be meaningless. Very interesting. What's something that you've found that's been challenging having your team be remote? Human resources laws. I'll give you a good example. You hire a senior manager in Paris. They will hang up on you when their 35 hours a week are over. <laughs> okay, because the human resources laws, unless they're of a certain position or this or that, they get penalized and you as the employer get penalized if they work more than their 35 hours. Really? Yeah. 
So understanding that sort of thing and, and how to deal with that so that the people that are in Belgium right across the border from them don't say things about those crazy guys in Paris because they have different laws and different restrictions that they work with. That's always a consideration. In some countries, I'll use India as a good example, religious issues around festivals. You might have teammates from five different parts of India, and they each find it very important to go to the religious festival of a village or the area that they're from, and they're all at different times. So there is no, you know, so you, you have to, to blend with those things. Again, just hire smart people, look at their performance judge them on that and recognize that you there will be more times than in a, a company that's all together when people will be unavailable. So their capacity to manage themselves, to make decisions, et cetera, to do those things we were talking about earlier is critically important. And the use of technology is important as well because we have to have ways to communicate quickly and easily. We use video constantly. And a lot of people use a, a Zoom meeting or a GoToMeeting or WebEx or these sorts of things. And they're file sharing, but they don't use the video. Mm -hmm. And we always use video on everything. It helps the team be a little closer. It personalizes communications uh, more effectively. And you also realize what a sloppy office the guy has that you're talking to <laughs> in German or whatever. So, so it humanizes things right. a lot more than just a, a, a voice over the phone. And we think that that's very important. Again, we've been using video since the early 80s. Well, gosh, Frank, it was so fun to talk to you today. Your career has spanned over so many. Oh, go ahead. Say it. I'm the old guy. No, you know how it's just changed. Uh, work has changed. And it's just so fascinating to hear how you've seen it grow and change. And I just really enjoyed having you today on the podcast. Oh. It was just really a lot of fun for me. Well, thank you, Stephanie. Greatly appreciate it. That's it for this episode of Running Remote. Thanks for joining us as we dive into the minds and processes of CEOs, managers, nomads, and dynamic entrepreneurs who are building impactful businesses and organizations through this new and innovative movement. We're a very small team behind this podcast, so if you liked what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review, and share this episode with a friend. And definitely check us out at runningremote.com. Until next time.